Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. With another t- top 10 richest blanks out there. And we usually do the Forbes lists because there's often a topic for conversation. But I've got an interesting twist this time. So that in a second. Oh, a twist. If you've gained weight recently, blame it on your new job. According to a survey of office workers, the average person has gained 12 pounds since they started their new job. More than 90% of them say their job gets uh, some or all of the blame. How do you blame your job? To start a new job, you've gained 12 pounds since you started the current job you're in. I don't know. Or would uh, that You don't want to say no to going out to lunch, maybe? and I don't know. Maybe it's not job-related at all. It's just whether you had started a new job or stayed in the old job or, or done anything, you would have gained 12 pounds. <laughs> Could be. That's, that's what we all do. I would have to think long and hard about the dynamics of new jobs and how they make you gain weight. We're going to talk to, uh, we talked to Meredith Sumter, Meredith Sumter a while back, and we thought she was so good, we're going to have her back from the Eurasia yeah. Group to talk about the Hong Kong protest thing here in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Forbes out with their list of the top 10 earners in the world of sports, and I'll kind of go through this list fast, because uh, then I want to get to the twist. Number 10 earner of all sports in all of the world, of currently. all sports currently, Okay, as of right now. Yes. He can't walk. His name is Kevin Durant. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and he's going to go way up the list when he signs that new deal, assuming somebody clears his ankle. Yeah. Um, number nine, Steph Curry. Those two play on the same team. Well, mm. one of them doesn't play at all. I'll be darned. Uh, number eight, LeBron James. Then Aaron Rodgers, football player, Russell Wilson, football player, Roger Federer, tennis player, as we okay. go up the list. Uh-huh. Your top five, tennis, boxing, soccer, soccer, soccer. Oh, boy. They call it football in much of the world, Jack. <laughs> Some boxer I haven't heard of. Back to you. A soccer, And then three soccer players. Well, I guess I heard of one of them. Neymar, Ronaldo, and then the number one soccer player in the world, Lionel Messi, makes $127 million a year. He makes really? twice what Kevin Durant makes. Wow. Wow. But here's the twist. This is even better. Scores once a month. This is your all-time list adjusted for inflation. Okay. Athletes who made the most money. Number two, Pliny the Elder. Let me throw in um, an interesting one. Well, nobody's going to beat the number one. So throughout time, Floyd Merriweather Jr. is number 10. David Beckham, such such a household name. Kobe Bryant, Phil Mickelson. There you go. Interesting. Michael Schumacher, auto racing. Then three golfers, Nicholas Palmer and Woods. Okay. And what's Tiger at? What rank? Number three, all time. All right. Right behind Michael Jordan. All time wow, adjusted okay. for inflation. A lot of this would have to do with um, emphasis on this sort of stuff. It just didn't used to be a thing for many, many centuries. you got to include endorsement money and that sort of thing. But number one, far and away, you go back to the Roman Empire. Here's oh, your twist. Wow. Your number one all-time athlete earner. Wow. According to Forbes. What was his sport? 
uh, chariot driver. Chariot racing. Yes. <laughs> ben freaking her. <laughs> what? Am I wrong? What sports? What were the sports possibilities you could even throw out? I suppose runner. Well, gladiator is the, uh, the example who, of the the shower thought we had other day the other day. In old times, rich people would watch poor people fight for entertainment. Now, poor people watch rich people fight for entertainment. The guy who ran from or to marathon, I don't know if he made any money. He dropped dead at the end, so it didn't make right. any money. Right, so yeah, he do people still that. think it's a good idea to do this? <laughs> but you got gladiating, you got uh, chariot racing. Gaius Apollos Diocles, who I'd never heard of. Diocles, Diocles, they mm-hmm. chanted. Made $15 billion? Wow. Yes. $15 billion adjusted for inflation in chariot <laughs> racing, which is way ahead of anybody else, obviously. Wow. Nobody else has even come close to that kind of money. Wow. Jordan was just under $2 billion. With everything, yeah. Wow. So this guy has seven and a half times Michael Jordan's money. I hope he you know, shared it with his horses, because they're doing most of the work. Of course, what do I know about chariot racing? <laughs> It was clearly very little. Is it the driver, the horse, or the chariot? I don't know. Do they have the rules? Because I understand from various movies I've watched, it could get pretty violent. I mean, there's dirty doings. They didn't have, like, incredibly sophisticated cameras every 15 feet like the Kentucky Derby does. Um, so, you know, if you can put a little whip butt in a guy's eye who's next to you. I'd also like to know, so was it prize money for winning the race, or were they charging tickets there at the uh, Coliseum to get in, and he just was such a big draw? I wonder if he was the first guy like to get a cut of concession sales. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're serving up mead and, like, flat bread. Pig, pig bladder. <laughs> Nine dollars for pig bladder. Can I you can believe this, this at home for a dime. Unbelievable. You come to the stadium to watch a good chariot race. Nine dollars. And the mead is flat. <laughs> right. Yeah, I don't know. That's amazing, though. Chariot racer. There you go. Huh. I just thought that was interesting. The all-time earner and athlete, not even close to anybody else. Yeah. I wonder if there are books about him or anything. I'd like to read that. He probably he probably was a big deal. I'm sure he was a very big deal. I wonder. Through toga parties, legendary toga parties? Toga. I'd assume. Toga. <laughs> right. <laughs> sure. Commonly raced four-horse chariots, not the uh, the two horses that, uh, right. that you see often in the it's movies. double the horsepower. And he, uh, he apparently came, <laughs> that's true. Who's uh, going to watch a race with a four-horsepower engine? He often <laughs> came from behind to win. Oh, that was, that was his, go. he was, it's called drafting! It's when one chariot gets behind the other chariot! Could you start chanting toga, toga back then, or would it just be like saying now, I'm regular wearing clothes, one, you idiot. regular clothes, regular clothes, <laughs> exactly. let's have a party, clothing, regular clothing, clothing, <laughs> what? He won almost 1,500 races. There you go. So I believe the situation in Hong Kong is a turning point in the next 50 years of world history, and it ain't good. No. We'll ask Meredith Sumter of the Eurasia Group. She works with Oli and Bremer there. Uh, what she thinks of the whole Hong Kong protest. Yeah, the protests are going on right now, and they look scared, and they should be. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Luckily, you know, I'm fortunate that I'm an American and I've never been involved in any sort of protest or anything like that. 
where your life was actually on the line. Right. Like what is going on in Hong Kong right now. And their lives are on the line in the in the in the future of Hong Kong. I, I don't think it's going to go the right way ultimately, no matter what. But um, the people of Hong Kong are trying to fight for some sort of autonomy from mainland China. And there's a whole bunch of people in the street, and it's dark there now, and who knows what's going to happen. Well, the direct cause is a new law that would allow the extradition of uh, Hong Kongers to mainland China. Um, which would end an independent judiciary. Oh, sure. Really. And, and effectively, so there'd be no more protesting or anything in Hong Kong because right. the, the, they'd just say, okay, get the, get that person over here and put them in prison. So that's the small picture. But as Jack said, there's a much bigger picture. Uh, Meredith Sumter is the head of research strategy and operations for the Eurasia Group uh, and joins us now to talk about the situation in Hong Kong. Meredith, how are you? Great. Great to be on with you, Jack and Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you again. We we sure enjoyed the last go-around. So, uh, listen, we have been saying throughout the show today that we believe this is a major moment in the loss of uh, autonomy for Hong Kong. Do you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that the, the numbers and the, the passion with which Hong Kong residents are making their voices heard uh, it is something that decidedly has put Carrie Lam, uh, this is the chief executive of Hong Kong, it's put her in more than an awkward spot. Uh, and so far she has not uh, shown that she, uh, any sort of sense that she's going to be backing down. Uh, but so long as those pro- protesters keep on to the streets and keep up the pressure on Ms. Lam, uh, that will help determine to what extent they can continue to carve out uh, their civil liberties as they demand them from encroaching pressure from Beijing. Well, just a quick thought on her. She's, that chick is straight out Orwell. I mean, she scares me to be sitting there and saying, this is not about the, the central Chinese government. I'm not under their orders. So you've decided to go ahead and extradite people who commit offenses in your autonomous region to mainland China just because why? You're tired of trials? The jails are full? I mean, it's a bizarre statement. Yeah. Well, I, I think she would say that, that Hong Kong is semi-autonomous uh, right. from, from Chinese rule. But look, under Hong Kong's limited democracy, um, her position, the chief executive position, is approved by Beijing. And only half of the seats in Hong Kong's uh, legislative council, its legislature, are filled by popular votes. So for Hong Kongers, they already see politically the votes are stacked against them. And what is so crucial about this is when you talk to Hong Kongers, they recognize this. They know that that power really rests with Beijing currently, but they are determined to do whatever they can to uh, continue to carve out their own space, to carve out the, the territory with the rules and systems that they've grown up with and that they believe are the critical source of Hong Kong's ultimate strength. Yeah, I was reading how the, the most people in Hong Kong, the 7 million people there, see themselves as Hong Kongians or whatever you would call yourself. Hong Kongers, yeah. Uh, uh, more than they see themselves as Chinese. Is that is that the case? That's absolutely the case. Well, then it would be a heck of a thing to give in and say, okay, I guess we're Chinese now. We're part of the, you know, a, a giant totalitarian communist country. I mean, you wouldn't give up easy on that. No, you, you certainly won't. But they, they certainly have their work cut out with them with the rise of Xi Jinping as China's leader. He has, since he's come to power, he's not only been more assertive globally, but he has worked hard to put continued pressure on Hong Kong to make it more of a submissive semi-autonomous territory. And you can imagine, Jack and Joe, what Taiwan thinks about this. I was just going to bring that yeah. <laughs> the pressure that um, Xi Jinping is bringing to bear on Hong Kong. This is supposed to be the one country, two systems approach. 
and from outsiders' perspective, uh, Hong Kong's perspective, as well as those on, on, on the island of Taiwan, they see this clearly as not one country, two systems, um, but one country that is trying to subvert the freer system to be more submissive to the system that exists on the mainland. Meredith Sumter of the Eurasia Group is on the line. Hey, I hate to uh, cut to the end of the novel here, but do the protesters have a prayer? So long as they stay united, they keep the streets, and they keep up the pressure around the legislative council, they can delay the council's ultimate um, um, consideration of the extradition bill. They were successful in um, doing something similar in 2003. There was an effort to push through a package of laws uh, that would prohibit sedition, subversion, and treason against the Chinese government, and they were successful in getting that shelved. So let's hope that they can keep keep their, their hearts and their feet out there on the streets. Yeah, well, I just think it's a matter of time. I hope you're right. Uh, so if Hong Kong goes and uh, Taiwan aside, do, do, does China have expansionist goals? Are they like the Soviet Union wanted to take over the world? Are they into that or not, do you think? Not not at all. Not at all. This is really about China looking to reclaim territories that they see as rightfully theirs. And so Hong Kong, uh, Taiwan, and also you hear a lot about Xinjiang, this more restive province towards the west of China. They're all about containing what they believe to be their core territories, their core interests. This is about consolidating control at home, not so much about expanding their systems abroad. Right. It's different than the Soviet Union, but at the risk of going all poli-sci 332 on our, uh, <laughs> our listeners here, I mean, they have made extraordinary efforts to gain effective control of various ports in Africa and and that sort of thing. I mean, they seek to control other governments. They want to influence. Um, Beijing right. is not about is not about controlling because, frankly, they don't have the wherewithal to do so. But they want to have other country governments that can be influenced to align with Beijing's interests, and that's what this is is really all about. Which might They're be a smarter way to do it. I don't know if I'd call it smarter. Well, if you uh, want to be a, if you want to be in a, a totalitarian government, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and influence the world. That might be a better way to do it. Yeah, purse strings for, for instead of incredibly uh, expensive yeah. arms, yeah. That, but I'll, I'll go ahead and, and keep my feet and my votes with a democratic system of governments and alliances, as I know you two will, too. Oh, yeah, we're just, we're, uh, we're totally down with old Sung Tzu there. We're, we're not underestimating <laughs> our, our enemies, and uh, they're, they're, Xi Jinping is a smart dude. For sure. So just real briefly, because we know that the Eurasia Group uh, advises uh, corporate clients and governments and whomever else on, you know, risk and change and the rest of it. If Hong, if when Hong Kong uh, falls under full Chinese control, what will that do to Hong Kong economically? Because it's an enormous economic engine. Yes, that's exactly, that's what we're actually following for, for our clients. Hong Kong bills itself as the freest economy in the world, an economy that puts business first. But what we're seeing here with the erosion of civil and political liberties uh, in Hong Kong, it gives the business and investment clientele pause too, uh, because the lines between rule of law, the lines between politics and business uh, in Hong Kong is beginning to be blurred for them. So you're talking to business leaders and investors, uh, they are beginning to hedge their bets. You see them look at the evolving political and, and uh, judicial landscape in Hong Kong and wondering at what point 
will the freest economy in the world begin also to lose some of that luster? And should they be looking to move their investments elsewhere? Meredith Sumter, Head of Research Strategy and Operations for the Eurasia Group. Uh, Meredith, we sure appreciate the benefit of your wisdom. Thanks a million. Thank you. Good to talk. Uh, I'll be danged. I tell you what, it's, it reminds me of the Berlin Wall falling and the breakup of the Soviet Union in reverse. Yeah, It's as if they're building the wall in East Germany. It's sickening. Uh, so we got this text. Somebody came across this on the Facebook, as this is the politics of the week back here in the United States, being led by the state of California. If the governor of California follows through on illegals getting free health care in California, he may have solved illegal immigration in the other 49 states. <laughs> wow, so true. That's a good point. Well, yeah, I had uh, in real life conversations yesterday with a number of people in the know and it was unanimous that not only will this be an enormous magnet of folks to sneak into the U.S., but folks already in the U.S. will cross into California. I mean, because it's expensive to live in a lot of California, but not all of California. I mean, there's plenty of you know rural places, small towns, well, Central Valley. And even so, it's not expensive compared to your million-dollar bill for your kid's uh, cancer treatment or whatever. Yeah. So you go to California. Tell you what, uh, I read yesterday, uh, one of our alert listeners, I don't think I have the name. I hate when I do that because I appreciate folks. California is the lavatory of democracy. That's pretty funny. That's fabulous. <laughs> That's priceless. But anyway, uh, folks, uh, they they email stuff that they think we ought to be talking about to mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. This is from Forbes.com. The top four reasons California is unsustainable. And it is chilling, and one of it is policies like we're talking about, uh, but unfunded pension liabilities, ticking time bomb, mm. giant time bomb, in already the, uh, if not the highest tax state in the union, damn near. What's coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? Well, you want to get Congress to move on something? Call in John Stewart. We got Trump versus Biden, more delicious clips from Iowa, and there's a new development that could revolutionize blood donations and transfusions. If you haven't heard the Jon Stewart stuff, it's something, and uh, Sean and I were having a discussion about that. Stay tuned. I want to hear your opinion on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Is this, is this one of your songs? I know you do a lot it of is. recording music. Is it this is. One of I played the uh, the drums myself on this one. Yeah, whenever we do live shows, Joe actually scats all of the bumper music. Right, exactly. And they told me, Joe, you can just play this drum lick once and we'll loop it. I said, no, man, I've got the feel. And I stayed there all day. You listen to this all day? I was there all day recording. Turn it up, Michael. Turn it up, man. <laughs> I played that lick, too. They told me. They told me, get a studio guy. I said, no, I'm playing it myself. (laughs) Let's get the uh, news now with Marsha Phillips. Well, it looks like a bill that would permanently extend the expiring 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund has the votes to make it through Congress. Yesterday, six 9-11 responders, sick rather, 9-11 responders, as well as advocate and former Daily Show host, John Stewart were in D.C. to make sure lawmakers were really on their side to extend the fund. Stewart accusing Congress of showing a lack of commitment when only a handful of the 28 committee members actually showed up for that hearing. Sick and dying, they brought themselves down here to speak to no one. Shameful. 
It's an embarrassment to the country, and it is a stain on this institution. Hey, John. You should be ashamed of yourselves for those that aren't here, but you won't be. Because accountability doesn't appear to be something that occurs in this chamber. Well, oh, yeah, beautifully said. Do immigration now, John. Stewart, so, here's our question. Yes. So if, if John Stewart gets in the race in, a, in the next couple of weeks, the same around the same time frame that Donald Trump did. The presidential race? Yeah. Okay, Is go there on. any way that he doesn't just run away with the Democratic nomination? I think that's a fascinating question. He destroys every single one of these candidates on, a, on, on name recognition, and if you put him shoulder to shoulder on the stage, he dances circles around them. And we're in the celebrity world now, where that is a thing. Now... Granted, my mind runs at a speed of like a kid's toy that the battery's about to die. But I'm trying as hard as I can to come up with a counter-argument, and I'm not finding it. I, I, he's practically universally beloved by a, possibly two, maybe even three generations of people who all know him from The Daily Show. And even if you disagree with him, I, you can't deny his intelligence. Right. And, and he, he's tried to be mostly fair through the years. Not always, but... Well, we don't well, have to talk talking about, him. about the Democratic nomination. Yeah, we're not yeah. talking about him winning the presidency, but getting the Democratic nomination? Well, he's sharp, I, but he's no Beto. He doesn't want to do it, I guarantee you. All he's the more sm- reason why he's the perfect one, he's too. He's smart right. enough to realize right. he doesn't want to do it. It's a hell of a catch, that catch-22. That is the catch-22 of politics. Yeah. The sort of person that you want to run would never run. <laughs> and the sort of person who wants to be it is probably not worthy of it. Is by definition not to be trusted. Yes, that's a yeah. hell of a catch, that catch-22. But yeah, so John Stewart would never run, but I can't imagine him not immediately right. being at like 60% in the polls and Joe Biden being at 11 Isn't he living on some sort of animal rescue farm yeah, with his I, wife yeah, in yeah, the rural New York? He, I'm hoping he's just really getting tired of putting splints on stray wolves or whatever he's doing out there. I, I don't know. We need you, John. That's it. We need you. All right, speaking of 2020, Joe Biden and President Trump got into it while they were campaigning. Biden blasting Trump is a danger to America. The president is literally an existential threat to America. That's idiotic. Go on. Biden going on to ads. This is a guy who does everything to separate and frighten people. It's about fear and loathing. No president has done something like that. That's God's pure sake. demagoguery. I mean, it's bizarre. What does the president have to say but, in return? That, that was perfectly good stuff, though. That yeah. second half, perfectly good. You're running as a Democrat against Trump and the view. Right. That, that, that's fine. The literally an existential threat to America right. is a crazy statement. I mean, he's got to want to take that back. We haven't even touched on the fact that he took back the whole China thing yesterday. All right. A couple of weeks ago, he said, China's not going to eat our lunch, man. What are you talking about? They're good folks. Yesterday, he had to redo the whole thing. If China is a threat to America, and we'll be for much time to come to try to put that to bed. But anyway. Oh, yeah, go ahead. China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man. They're not bad folks, folks. But guess what? They're not a they're, they're not they're competition for us. Today, Let's a 180 degree change. China poses real challenges to the United States, and uh, uh, some ways a real threat to the United States. All right. You know, I've done that in my own life, in real life. Right. Sometimes when you're just completely wrong, you just have to come out and just. I said some crap that was well, that was ridiculous. wrong. Yeah. This is right. <laughs> yes. You just have to be just, now. I'm right, but I don't want to obscure this because this anyway, is so bad. So we got the existential thread. We got right. the demagoguery. How does the president respond? Here you go. 
Now, I have to tell you, he's a different guy. He looks different than he used to. He acts different than he used to. He's even slower than he used to be. Joe Biden is a dummy. <laughs> so, Trump will end America. Yeah, he's an old stupid head. It ain't exactly the Lincoln-Douglas debate. <laughs> so, uh, there's some theory that what Biden is up to by yeah. with the really over-the-top rhetoric is you get a... You know, a double screenshot all day long in the cable news channels, right. Biden versus Trump, just making it look like that's who's running against each other. Right. Yes. Just skip over the other people, which is not a bad ploy. Well, and you've got like the vice alderman of, of uh, dog leg Indiana says something mean about Trump. Trump will respond. So Biden's pretty assured that if he takes some <laughs> shot at Trump, he'll get a response. So Joe <laughs> Biden is a dummy. The dummy. Vice, the vice alderman of dog leg Indiana. Right. Very little power. (laughs) I tell you what, he has no power. He has no power. Totally no power. Trump will swing at every pitch. You can count on that. You can go out and tell your pitcher, look, (laughs) throw it right in front of the plate, in the ground. He'll still swing. That's crazy. No, roll it to the plate. (laughs) He's going to swing. Throw it at the dugout. It doesn't matter. (laughs) On an entirely different note, we've got new research showing it might be possible to convert type A blood into universally acceptable donor blood. Researchers at Canada's University of British Columbia found that bacteria in the gut produce a couple of enzymes that can can convert common type A blood into a more universal type. The blood specialists say if this process pans out, it could revolutionize blood donation and transfusion. God, I'd say. Sean, ask Joe his blood type. Uh, Joe, what's your uh, what's your blood type? Same as my attitude. Be positive. <laughs> Can I go now? <laughs> Am I done? Is my duties fulfilled? <laughs> Nicely done. Hey, and today, today nothing does, counts so much as blood. Thanks, Gene. Today does mark the 25th anniversary of the O.J. Simpson murder case. This Speaking of blood. Day. 25 years ago that... Uh, guilty! Oh, I'm sorry, I sneezed there. Oh. That, that Nicole Simpson and her uh, friend Ron Goldman were murdered. Were butchered by O.J. Simpson after he caught them together and lost his temper. In 1997, civil jury found Simpson liable for wrongful death. He was ordered to pay millions of dollars to the Brown and Goldman families. They're still trying to get O.J. to pay up. You know, the uh, O.J. Simpson case, I don't know, I could talk about it all day. And one thing you might, I might like to talk about, especially, is the idea that the perverse uh, social justice warrior, intersectional, bizarro, we get to be unjust now philosophy, and how sick and poisonous that is, and how you've got to resist it, and just the rules have to be equal. Never mind history; you've got to make it equal, or it just results in more injustice. Right. Perfect example is the LAPD was insensitive and abusive to a lot of black uh, Los Angelinos for a very long time. And and they got a chance to give an F.U. to the police department, and they let a butcher go free because they, they were so desperate right. to give that finger to the LAPD. Injustice equaled injustice. Yep. It always does. O.J. acquitted on all charges in the actual double murder trial. Yeah. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. That and Chris Darden, one of them, put on the glove. Idiotic. Says he is getting some of that hot, hot Marsha Clark tale. Clouded his distraction. Clouded his mind. Exactly. Didn't think straight. Wow.
Um, yeah. Who could forget Kato Kalen? I, I actually did until you just mentioned <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, I tried to. <laughs> right. The thing that you wouldn't know unless you were old enough is that when news broke that O.J. Simpson's ex-wife had been murdered, um, the idea that it could be O.J. was just unthinkable. Right. And then, you know, in the coming days when the O.J. Simpson has been asked to be uh, taken in for questioning, it's like, well, he didn't do it. All right. He was like borderline becoming a movie star at that point with all the, the uh, naked guns there. He was yeah. in kind of a Peyton Manning or Shaquille O'Neal-esque <laughs> beloved public figure is what I'm not Jeez, necessarily yeah. a movie star, but... Right. I, oh, yeah. He yeah. was absolutely that. Yeah, very affable. And, yeah, it was just... Shaquille-like or, or uh, yeah, yeah, that sort of thing where just everybody just thinks he's kind of a funny guy. I remember our news girl at the time, because this is how old we are. We were doing our radio show, and uh, our news girl at the time looked at a picture. Uh, it was probably the day of the murders. Um, looked at a picture of OJ's ex-wife and the other dude. Yeah, they got killed. Yeah, because Ron there Goldman. was questions like that of boyfriend girlfriend, and people right. were claiming no, they weren't. And I remember our news girl saying, "Oh yeah, they were doing it," <laughs> just by looking at the pictures. <laughs> wow, which turned out to be true, obviously. But right, right. That's I had no memory of that. Was that Robin? No, no, the blonde chick who wore the short shorts and <laughs> our news girl oh, in Wichita. Yes. <laughs> oh my God! Yeah. yeah. Oh Lord! Yeah, that she was, was very bad. nice. Oh, she was wonderful. Yeah. Didn't really need to dress like that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. But uh, cover, yeah, you, she, she cover said, your buttocks, woman. They're doing it, and that's so that <laughs> both was, of them. That was the first thing thought I had. Oh, okay, I wonder. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the murders than the fact that it's not just a waiter, right? So you'd solved it. No, and she I hadn't had merely it, forgotten it, her sunglasses. It made it. Yeah, it made it more interesting. Certainly. Anyway. That has been hashed, rehashed, and then hashed yet again. Mm, I do enjoy hash. Mm -hmm. We'll end on a better note, we promise. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Bradley Cooper and his fiancée broke up, which means he is officially single. Yeah. Yeah, I read about it on Twitter, and then uh, last night my wife murmured it in her sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. Um, We will have the latest on Hong Kong tomorrow. I hope it isn't talking about how many dead are in the streets, but uh, we'll have the latest on Hong Kong tomorrow. This study just came out. A lot of talk about how much plastic there is in in the environment, in the ocean, wherever. Human beings eat a credit card size amount of plastic every week, according to a new study. Mm. You take in that much plastic into your body weekly. That's Dave Ramsey's thing, right? Eat your credit cards. (laughs) Most of it is through water, whether bottled or tap. Most of it is through water. That's how you get the plastic in you. Wow. Has that got anything to do with autism or all the the different things that are going on? Even through tap, you say? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Or even through bottled. You would hope that bottled water, I realize it's in a plastic bottle. Yeah, that makes more sense to me, kind of, you know, microbes or whatever breaking off of the bottle into the water. But it's supposed to be cold filtered, you know, deep from uh, the bottom of the Arctic or something. Yeah, from a a glacier filtered through a mastodon's fur. There's some S. It's out of a hose in Riverside, California, you idiots. (laughs) 
<laughs> my high school auto shop teacher and few spit wisdom like a high school auto shop teacher used to say, I don't care what mountain spring your your water was bottled in, there's a bear bathing upstream. Ah, <laughs> oh, bear pee. Anyway, so uh, this is the year officially. Smartphone screens are going to get more gazing time than TV screens. Is that true in your life? It's been true in my life since I got my first phone. 11 or so years ago, I've probably spent more time yeah. looking at my phone than my TV. Well, it's extra, extra true now with, you know, whatever your device is. I spend a lot of time with my iPad, but uh, watching videos, streaming Hulu, you know, I've, I watched, uh, what was it? It was a World Series game I watched um, on my iPad once. So, yeah. And then you add the what used to be TV to all the other stuff that you can do exclusive. Yeah, sure. It's, uh, it's not surprising. Um, interestingly enough... Uh, U.S. adults' TV time will drop nine minutes per, what is it, week, month? They don't say, oh, this year. But their digital video time will increase by eight minutes, according to this uh, this uh, e-marketing firm. Well, they may be biased. And then, you know, TV's fighting against your phone, even though you watch some TV on your phone. But 89 of the top 100 most TV programs last year were sports. Hmm. that still captures people on a television. Yeah, well, yeah, if you're in a pinch, you can watch a World Series game on a phone or a iPad or whatever. I remember just being dazzled. One of my the moments that I was just really appreciative of living in the modern world is when I realized, and, and I'm so sorry to be frank with you folks, but that's my trademark. I'm like Hemingway. I was sitting on the toilet 3,000 miles away watching the masters in high definition on my phone and i thought this is truly the space age the modern age i can see the dimples on the ball from the john thousands of miles away it's an amazing time if only there wasn't plastic accumulating in our guts oh speaking of things in your guts this is controversial i guess the pentagon has been doing research on diets and its effect on soldiers, and and particularly in this case, divers. I I could see wanting to spend money on that. Yeah. Can't get people that aren't too fat to be in the military, for one thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely true. What do they say? 70% of eligible aged young men and women in America are not eligible for military service because they're either fat or on drugs, or I can't remember what the other one. Stupid, perhaps. I don't remember. But... uh, Quick aside, the one thing, you know, as you get a little older, the one thing that becomes more and more annoying is diet fads and young people chirping about them. Mm. But, you know, you're trying to lose weight. You're excited. I get it. Uh, but yet I always perk up a little bit, hoping they've cracked the code, knowing yeah. it will never be cracked other than eat less, dude. Well, yeah, except the whole uh, ketosis thing, the Atkins diet, the low carb diet. They called it the steak and salad diet in the 60s. Uh, now they, everybody's running around calling it the keto diet like they discovered it, but and it's annoying, but I'm easily annoyed. Anyway, uh, top Pentagon officials say research has shown that human bodies in ketosis um, can stay underwater for longer periods, what? making the fat and protein-heavy eating plan a potential benefit to military divers. Huh. The military is researching food and drugs to make fighting men and women, but mostly men, more effective and we're getting into some controversial territory there especially when it comes to drugs Mm. we'll uh, talk about this more uh, certainly tomorrow or throughout the weeks to come it's final thoughts 
with A-N-G. Hopefully no more Hitler days. Oh, boy. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Uh, it's just <laughs> awful. Let's get a final thought from everybody on the crew to round out the hour. Hey, uh, Positive Sean, final thoughts? Yeah, uh, Stewart needs to pair up with some other stand-up comedian and just do an all-stand-up comedian ticket for the for the 2020. I think they'd run away with the field. John Stewart and, I don't know, i got to find somebody else. Oh, uh, let's see. Bill it's, Maher. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Michelangelo, final thought? Uh, real quick here, for a perfect Father's Day, give him a steak dinner, tickets to a sporting event, and time with you. That's all he needs. Perfect nice. day for Dad. Very nice. Boy, I do like the flesh of the cow. Uh, Marshall Phillips, final thought? Well, now we're just four and a half days until I hit my goal of one month of not investing in scratchers or sport. Four and a half days and counting. You're counting half days now. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm getting, a li- I'm getting kind of a little itchy, a little twitchy. You know, who am I to judge, but you are a scratcher junkie. You need to go to some posh Malibu rehab center for a month. Yes. Jack, final thought for us? My third grader is approaching his last day of the school year. Uh, last full day today and then last half day tomorrow. And he uh, he hasn't mentioned it at all. Hasn't come up. <laughs> um, there's nothing more exciting in my memory than what it feels like on the last day of school oh, when you're a boy. kid. Just what a feeling. What a feeling of everything is possible and all your worries are behind you. Is there an adult nope. parallel to that? No, there's Retirement not. Retirement isn't. Nothing. Because you're, you know, staring at, well, you know. You know. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty <laughs> wrapping up another grueling four-hour work day. We all have to do it. Hmm. So many people to thank. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. A lot of good clicks there. God bless America. This is a... Uh historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here. Get. Get. And we apologize for our stupidity. And we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over. What? Bye-bye. Joe Biden is a dummy. Armstrong and Getty.